towers build and Valerians strive, while House Targaryen splinters and cracks. A king sits bleeding into the seat that props him up, rejected by the throne. A prince begs for respect. A princess begs for action. But actions breed consequence. And a king wishes for peace. And so he dithers. There is no greater peril than inaction. Whether you do right or do ill, at least you must do, for in failure to act, one loses all. So may the house of the dragon begin to fall. This is a watch party of ice and fire. We are your hosts, Solar. You know, the wall needs a higher tower. <laughs> Constance. Family, duty, and honor. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. Morgan. Hi, everybody. And myself, Sam. <laughs> In this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything of World of Ice and Fire. In this episode, we are talking about the second episode of House of the Dragon, The Rogue Prince. In this episode, we open half a year after the events of the first episode. Corliss Valarion is denied a marriage proposal and help with the Crab Theater. Kristen, uh-uh, Cole is named to the King's Guard. <laughs> Damon steals a dragon egg and tells lies about marrying Masaria and having a child, only for Rhaenyra to put him in his place and return the dragon egg. We get a duel of words with the queen that never was and the queen-to-be. We see Rhaenyra and Viserys' relationship cool while Alicent's and Viserys' relationship heats up with an announcement of marriage. And finally, an alliance between Damon and Corlys over the frustrations with the king. Be sure to pay close attention as you can elevate your Macer's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Before we get into the episode, we're starting with our segment for the love of lore, where I'll be going over anything involving history, culture, and customs in the world of ice and fire. Then the council will discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about dragon eggs. Dragon eggs, obviously laid by dragons in clutches. Uh, clutches come in at least five eggs. Uh, dragons can lay up to multiple clutches in their lifetime. Uh, eggs have scales that shimmer in the light. They're very large, and the color uh, of the egg matches the dragon dwelling within. So for example, the green egg with bronze specks was Rhaegal's egg. Uh, a cream egg with golden streaks was Viserion's egg. And the black egg with red swirls is Drogon's egg. Uh, to reproduce these eggs, uh, some believe if a dragon lays an egg, it's a female. If not, it's a male. Uh, but it is argued that dragons don't actually have a gender. Some actually believe that they can switch genders when necessary. Uh, this is highly up to debate, but, I mean, they're dragons. Like, who the fuck knows? Uh, it is really unknown what it actually takes to hatch the egg itself. Um, dragons have hatched in hatcheries on Dragonstone under the volcano Dragonmont. Um, there's been many eggs and hatchlings found to dwell in Dragonmont, as well as some dragons making their lairs there. Uh, some believe that far the farther away from Dragonstone, the harder it is to actually hatch the egg. Uh, I personally think that it takes some kind of heat and fire, some kind of magic, a little bit of this and that, all the rest. Um, but some eggs don't actually hatch at all, and they become petrified, fossilized, and turn into stone. 
Um, the importance of dragon eggs for the Targaryens is pretty paramount. Uh, they have a tradition of placing a dragon egg in a crib with a Targaryen newborn. Um, hatching in the crib is supposed to show a true Targaryen, um, a true uh, dragon of the Valyrian blood. Um, if it doesn't hatch, it's or, or the uh, dragon lives, but it's like short-lived, it's a weak dragon, kind of sickly, it's seen as a bad omen. Um, this tradition actually started with Raynor with placing an egg in King Jaehaerys' and Queen Alysanne's cribs. Uh, Jaehaerys then followed the same with his son Aemon, and then now it is a tradition as we saw with Viserys and his children. Um, the eggs, whether they hatch or not, um, if they become stone, they're still extremely um, cherished by the Targaryens. We see a lot of this with even Daenerys in... Uh, a Game of Thrones like she kind of is like having them as also like prizes before they even hatch um, And then we saw how kind of like freaked out everybody got at the end or at in that episode where they found out that Damon took an egg So uh, it's pretty noticeably important to the Targaryens uh, What do you all think of the dragon eggs and what you how do you uh, how'd you feel about how the dragon egg scene happened? Uh, Constance we'll start with you uh, well, I, I like that we brought up the notion that dragons can change their, their sex, much like uh, the dinosaurs in uh, Jurassic Park, right? Nature finds a way. <laughs> uh, and I, I wish they had more information about the whole history of and physiology of dragons, because that would just be really fascinating. But uh, I think that Damon took a huge risk in taking the egg. Because from what we've seen, they need heat, they need fire, and while Dragonstone has volcanoes and could probably keep the egg warm, he took a big risk by bringing it outside and throwing it. <laughs> you know, this is like one of the most precious things in all the realm, and he's like, catch! So I think it just kind of reflects on his character how he doesn't really give a shit about anything or anyone. <laughs> But, uh, Solar, what, what do you think about the eggs? Well, first off, when it comes to the dragon eggs, want one, thank you. Um, and I love, 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 love that, as you said, nature will find a way. Like, the more I'm hearing about this, the more I'm seeing King Viserys from last week sounding like Jeff Goldblum going, you know, uh, nature finds a way. We spent so much time trying to figure out if we could grow dragons. We never stopped to think if we should, you know. And um, and honestly, like the asexual reproduction, awesome. Um, my favorite part about the dragon eggs, though, myself, is the fact that they go petrified. And because they have that magic and biological component, you can set a dragon egg aside for 100, 150 years, maybe get a dragon in the future, which is kind of neat. So um, it, it brings to mind the idea that although people think that dragons are extinct, are they really or are they just dormant? You know, it, it opens the door for a lot of sequel. Bait. Yeah. Uh, Morgan, what are your thoughts on it? Honestly, like, so I I absolutely love the idea of anything be able to spontaneous change its gender. Go figure. Um, <laughs> I but, wasn't going there. <laughs> I, yeah, but I, I as the trans as the resident trans girl, I'm definitely going there. Um, but uh, as far as uh, the the eggs, I, I I don't think Damon was risking much, right? 
what uh, Constantine were saying, how like he took it outside, he threw it. But as Solar <laughs> was saying right now, even if it got petrified, <laughs> even if that happened, there are still ways to bring it back, right? Like these these eggs are hardy. <laughs> They they last, <laughs> and I, I honestly believe, based on the way, when you look deep in the lore, that I believe the eggs and whether dragons grow in them is entirely based on the flow of magic and not actually based on uh, how healthy the parent is or the science of anything. I think it's a very magical source, and the fact that we know that later dragons die out and as they were going they kept coming out smaller and smaller but we don't know of any actual breeding or inbreeding practices but that they seem to be like you were saying asexual reproduction that it doesn't really make sense from a genetics perspective because there's no genetic factors at play these dragons all come out very different which kind of begs the question of with all the variety of dragons we see in the current show why did all the dragons in the last show look like they were slightly different uh tones of the same dragon just saying just saying i think the answer to that they question is very similar <laughs> yes i know i know but still i'm just saying they look there's so much variety in the in the current dragons and like so little variety in the in the previous ones to the point where if you weren't looking close enough, you might forget which one you were looking at uh, in the old show. Um, but yeah, I I I think Damon in that in that scene was not exactly being reckless. I think he was being cocky and making a point, but I don't think he was being reckless because honestly, what 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 risk was he actually taking? He took an egg out of Dragonstone while still being on Dragonstone. He didn't go anywhere. I thought he took it out of the dragon pit. He took it. Out of, oh, it was from the dragon pit. I thought they were breeding them on Dragonstone. No, they said that they got it. They took it past like the keepers. They they oh, got yeah. it out. Okay, so the eggs were being kept in the drag pit, dragon pit, but they have to be hatched on Dragonstone. All right, that was my mistake. But still, he stole the egg, but he took it to where it's safest and where it's most actually able to True. grow and prosper i'm just saying it's not like he was like being completely haphazard with it the only haphazard action was throwing it and i'm not really sure that even if he dropped it that it would have cracked so i i think i think he was just kind of making a point and not being all that reckless what do you think guzma i completely agree i don't think uh, that it's this easy to break a dragon egg because uh, there have been dragon eggs that have lasted like for Drogon, Rhaegal, Rhaegal and Viserion. We have seen that it has lasted for hundreds of years and if they were uh, broken this easily they wouldn't have survived all these years. So I think they are not that easily broken. And I love the custom of uh, the Targaryens placing dragon eggs in their children's cradle. At least it's my theory that uh, maybe it strengthens the bond between a Targaryen and its dragon by placing, because dragons are magical creatures. And uh, you can, we know that dragons can sense their riders' distress and they can find their dragon riders 
even though uh, they are far apart so it um, it all uh, connects uh, and i think it enhances their bond and that's maybe why uh, they started this custom my last question is do you all think that anyone's ever eaten a sunny side up dragon egg <laughs> yes i think it's a delicacy Megor? in bravos on their version of Juneteenth. <laughs> that, that's what I think. I think the liberated slaves of Bravos have like, a, um, honestly, I think they have like a derivative yeah. dish, you know, to celebrate how the first um, liberated slaves from Valeria took some <laughs> dragon eggs and made a serious quiche. You know, I think like the, the Bravosi yeah. quiche is that's, well that's you know. That's that's canon now. That is now canon. <laughs> Call George. Tell him that it's been decided. Yeah. Watch party canon. <laughs> Watch party canon. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our for the love of or love and lore segment. Next, we have the dragons in the details where Constance and Uzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the episode, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. After you, Constance and Uzma. Hello. Let's Hello. get started and go over some of the great details that we picked out of this episode. Okay, so the first picture I'm going to discuss is uh, the scene where all the they've chosen the knights and they are trying to pick up a knight for, knight for the king's card. We have discussed this picture in the, our trailer uh, breakdown video, but we didn't know two houses. We weren't sure that who they belong to out of all of these. And if you look at it from a, in this episode, we got to look at it from a different angle. And now we can uh, tell all the houses. On the left, uh, we have, as we have already discussed before, we have House Karen, House Malister, House Corbray. And then the one in the center was House Rowan, which is a golden tree on a field of white. And then we have House Craig Hall, House Charlie, and Christian Cole in the center. And as we discussed earlier, they are uh, standing in the positions. Uh, the pieces are set in the po positions they are standing in. And whoever comes to the center, they set the piece in the center of that. So, and then we've, as we've all seen, Rhaenyra chose Sir uh, Christian Cole because he has battle experience, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what she said. That's her story, and she's sticking to it. And when she said this, I was like, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Sure, girl. Sure. <laughs> sure. We believe you. <laughs> so what do we have next, Constance? Uh, next, we have just some beautiful details of the goblets that they've been drinking the wine out of at the small council meeting and at their uh, personal dining table. Uh, it looks like that they're glass, they're blown glass with pewter uh, on each of the goblets. Although it seems to be a set, there's many of them in that same with that lovely brown bubbly hue, and then a dragon with its wings outstretched as the entwined around the base. And as because this is, you know, House Targaryen, there's many dragons in the background, like the braziers that they light up for the torches all have dragons with their wings outspread in a very similar design. Uh, and even the wall sconces are there. So that's just a little something to look at. All the goblets. I want that set. I, you know, make mm -hmm. it happen, HBO. Make the goblets a, a buyable thing. And, you know, those will sell like hotcakes. I'm right but, uh, there with let's you. Let's take a look at some more. I, I am so right yeah, there with you. Those are some pretty shinies. Yeah, but 
Yeah. So HBO marketing division, that's a freebie. <laughs> um, let's look at some more dragons, though. Let's look at actual dragons. Uh, then we have one of the best scenes in this episode. Uh, we can see Caraxes, and then Rhaenyra arrives with Cyrax. And if you look at their sizes, Cyrax is even less than even half the size of Caraxes. And uh, Cyrax was pretty young at this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he looks huge compared to Cyrax. And from what... Uh, What's in the books? Caraxes uh, is half the size of Vegar, so just you can just Im imagine how huge Vegar will be in, in this scene. <laughs> what do you think, Constance? I think it's a great perspective shot. I mean, we we know that Cyrax is a young dragon in comparison to Caraxes, and Caraxes is supposed to be one of the larger sized dragons and the most formidable. So getting a size comparison shot is a really good way for them to kind of hint at what would happen if these two decided to go at each other. You know, if things went horribly wrong, they're on Dragonstone. What, you know, who who might win just based on size alone? And you could tell that Caraxes has an advantage. But I don't think uh, they will, uh, because when Cyrax uh, arrived, it looked like uh, Caraxes was really happy. And it's probably because <laughs> it's probably because Damon was happy that Rhaenyra has arrived because uh, dragons can pick their dragon riders' moods and they react according to it. But I uh, I haven't uh, shared the screen uh, screenshot here. But in another shot, it looked like uh, Caraxes was smiling when uh, Cyrax was flying in front of him. <laughs> A happy dragon, huh? <laughs> yeah, they'll get along very well. Yeah. Of course. Well, they're, they've grown up together. They both were chained in the mm -hmm. dragon pit, so it's not like it's an unfamiliar scent or an unfamiliar dragon sneaking up on I them. I can't believe Cyrax looks so tiny in front of Caraxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a small dragon. but uh, What do we have next, Constance? Next, we have our mysterious figure of Cogras Crab Feeder. The Crab Feeder is being set up as one of our villains in the show. Uh, he is a Prince Admiral from Mir who serves the Triarchy. And this is, again goes back to the first episode when Lord Corliss unfurled the map that we showed in our previous Dragons in the Details and said that these are the pirates. These are the ones that you need to look out for. This is going to be a problem in the future. And sure enough, six months down the road, they're attacking his shipping lanes. And this is the leader of that army. And if you look closely, he's got a half mask. He's got a mask on here to hide his face. And it kind of resembles, in my opinion, the masks worn by the Sons of the Harpy. Uh, not in yeah. this shot, but in the other shots, you can see that it's got kind of a horn going up the side on the right. Uh, but what we wanted to point out to you is something kind of gross that may, may come into play. He has grayscale climbing up the left side of his shoulder. Uh, it's that mottled flesh that we saw with uh, Jorah when he became afflicted with grayscale, uh, the disease that only affects, uh, that, that comes out of the, the West, comes out of the East. And uh, it, it, may, it may be why he wears the mask, to help hide his disfigurement. Do you think we'll get to watch uh, it spread around in Westeros? I don't think so. I, I don't think that's going to be a plot point for the entire story as, as the grayscale doesn't really affect anything in this point in time, as far as we know. 
But it's uh, contagious, right? It is very contagious, yes. Uh, so that, that could be why he wears the mask to help hide it or help cover it from other people. But yeah. we'll, we'll have to see if that's just a detail they threw in because it's cool and gross or if it actually becomes mm -hmm. a story point. Uh, but I think we're going back to uh, King's Landing with our next one, right? Yeah. And then we see the scene where uh, the dragon keeper uh, gives the news that dragon demon has uh, stolen the egg and everyone stands up. And when uh, Sarotio stands up, you can see the uh, sign of hand on the back of his chair. It's the same as his uh, pin. And no one else, when I checked the chairs of uh, other members uh, no one else had it not even the king so it feels like he's claiming that this is my chair <laughs> it belongs to me <laughs> like he's uh, it's kind of a show of power he's the only one who has uh, the hand sigil uh, like his sigil on it it's like the director has the word director blared behind the back of his chair so that everybody knows how important he is and that this is my chair do not touch <laughs> yeah, and you can see uh, uh, him playing like he. It feels like he thinks he's above everyone else. Uh, like he, when Corlys, who is the brother-in-law of King Viserys, when he was speaking, uh, Sir Otto was like, "You will not uh, a seat on the council does not make you his equal." But when uh, Viserys decided to go to Dragonstone, he was like, no, "I cannot allow it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otto yeah. kind of takes charge of the situation, whether or not he should. So that's what it felt like to me, a show of power. Like, uh, no one else has anything on the back of their cha chair, but he has it. <laughs> what do you think? I think he's a, a dick. <laughs> <laughs> no one can argue with that. <laughs> uh, do, I think that's it for us today, right? Yeah. Okay. That's it for us. Back to you, Sam. Thank you. We next have our Raven's Eye segment, uh, where Solar will be talking about the cinematography and directorial choices made and how they affected the episode. To you, Solar. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Raven's Eye. Now, it was interesting when I first started writing this segment because I would normally choose a scene. However, this show, this particular episode, had a couple of things that were very prominent, okay? So we're going to talk about maybe two or three different things. The first thing I'm going to talk about is the bookending of the shots, okay? Let me see if I can um, share my screen here. I was having problems with that last week. But... Um, this particular episode I found very fun um, in the sense that with our very opening scenes, um, we have very much a book-ended type thing where we open up on a shot and it doesn't look like we're getting the thing. Okay, gotta love, um, really gotta love, um, that kind of, um, well, how can I put this? Yeah. Um, yeah. Gotta love that encryption. Censorship. Yeah. <laughs> More like copyright infringement um, or copyright protections. So, um, but we open this episode with a very visceral shot of what the crab feeder does. And we also close this episode with a visceral shot 
of the crab feeder's face. So this is very much a, um, I'm not going to say an in media res as much as a, um, this is what's happening here. But meanwhile, back at the ranch type, um, type thing going. But one of the things I wanted to point out in this episode was the camera movements and how expressive the camera movements tended to be. Um, specifically, and let's see, I have notes this week. I am so papayad. Um, now, the camera movements in that first council meeting, the, the first small council meeting that we see where they talk about replacing the guy on the Kingsguard, um, when Corliss comes in, in that very Aragorn from the Two Towers kind of way, saying what's going on, when the subject changes, the camera slowly zooms in on Renera as um, as her patience tends to go away. <laughs> um, that's an overall motif in this episode. Whenever Renera is like, okay, I'm keeping my mouth shut, I'm keeping my mouth shut, the camera gets closer and closer until she explodes and says something out of turn. And um, this was exemplified in the first council meeting. It was also exemplified in, um, God, what was it? Um, oh, sorry, not, not, not when she's about to speak out of, out of turn, but the camera zooms in um, as a way to measure her composure. The closer it gets to a, to, um, a, a tight shot of um, Renera, um, it zooms in until she loses her composure. Um, in the first meeting, we see that the camera's moving around and we have a little bit of zooming in to show intensity of people depending on what they're talking about. But specifically with Rhaenyra, um, the first shot is a static medium shot of her in juxtaposition with the council. And as they speak, the camera gets closer and closer to her, um, reinforcing that we're looking at this kind of from her perspective. And then she speaks about having dragon riders. <laughs> um, and a very similar thing happens in the second um, time that she's in. She's in the council and um, during the choosing of the new Kingsguard. Now, when we go forward to her choosing the Kingsguard, I am noticing that even the dude's house sigil, um, you know, Sir Bay of phallic chess piece, um, is just a shaft. I mean, it's, it's just, it's there. Um, and the camera work very much shows a battle of wills between Renera and Sir Otto. I need to be at the wall high tower. Um, when she initially picks and he's like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, back and forth. The shots get tighter and tighter until she throws down her glove and says, okay, um, the guy that is supposed to be guarding my father should have some combat experience, shouldn't they? You know, um, so that was really, really an interesting thing. Um, but the thing that really stood out to me in this, in this particular um and this particular scene was Princess Rainey's always in the back, out of focus. Um, there is a particular shot 
while they're choosing the new guy for the Kingsguard, where Rainey's is in a, she's looking over things from a different balcony and she's ever present, always out of focus and always listening. You know, this was before the confrontation that she had with Renera directly. Um, while Renera was butting heads with Otto Hightower, she's right there in the back over Otto's shoulder. Is this um, is this shot specifically being chosen for um, what is the term I'm looking for foreshadowing for later on in the story? Or is it saying that over all of these things lays the queen that never was sort of picking sides or even manipulating things from way behind the scenes, just out of focus. Um, now, do, 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 do. Um, the next shot that I really wanted to take a focus at was the scene with Renera and Alisaint um, in the sept where um, they walk into the sept together, which is very interesting. However, um, right before Alisaint softens the blow um, of the relationship between uh, Rhaenyra and um, King Varys, she softens the blow of what the king believes, and then she puts distance between themselves. Like she literally crosses all the way to stage left and says flat out, you know, your father loves you as I'm sitting all the way over here trying not to give away that I'm kind of courting him behind your back. Um, and that was followed up with a scene of dinner also at a distance. I mean, there's a lot of wide shots in this to show that relationships between people are strained. And as we focus in on a lot of different characters, we get tight shots of them singly unless we have Queen um, or Princess Rainey's in the back of the shot, kind of looming over things. Um, now, the one scene, because um, I know we don't have a whole lot of time on this, so before I run out of time, the interesting scene that I want to focus on that isn't Rainey's um, driven was um, the scene with Otto, the Grand Maester, and the King. Um, I saw, I thought it was a very interesting directorial choice where you've got the two members of the small council talking to the king about getting married and, and succeeding, where he's got his hand in a bowl full of maggots and they're tearing away at his weakness. Um, I almost got up in the middle of watching this show going, symbolism! Because um, <laughs> there we have the little worms of the small council just chipping away at the king when it comes to this decision. So most of these things were very much, um, very much um, intentional things to show the storytelling of characters who are isolated or distancing themselves from each other for a reason. So... Um, yeah, that is where I'm going to stop this one. But um, before I hand it um, back over to Patch, I'd like to know if any of you guys noticed anything similar to that. Um, Uzma? Yeah, 
I agree that uh, Rainis was observing Rhaenyra, but I think it was uh, rather than manipulating, it was more like, look at this fool, she is deluding herself because she watched the conversation with Otto Hightower. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that's why she told. <laughs> like, uh, she thought, uh, she can see that Rhaenyra really believes that she is the heir and she can order, uh, she can do whatever she wants. And uh, as we saw in the council meeting, uh, we saw how much her opinion matters to the small council. <laughs> they just laughed it off. <laughs> so uh, that's why she told her that uh, I know the order of things, you do not. And I loved uh, the look that passes between uh, right before uh, Viserys announces that he is going to marry uh, Alicent. He gives a look, they have a look uh, like uh, you can see the look between uh, Alicent and Viserys and then uh, Rhaenyra uh, notices it and uh, you can see how nervously she looks, uh, Alicent looks at Rhaenyra and just by looking at Alicent's face you can see the look on uh, Rhaenyra's face change before even Viserys says anything. She is like, she is looking guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Something is about to happen. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> she can just, she can just tell by her face that <laughs> she, she something, she did something wrong. <laughs> and then Viserys says, "I'm going to marry Alison." <laughs> yeah, and um, I definitely so, got to say, major like not just props, but the whole art department go straight to the actors in this episode because the expressions on their faces yeah. told most of the story. But that is a discussion for bonus content. So back to you, Sam. <laughs> Actually, if I could uh, cut in real oh, fast please. here on this. Uh, something that you'd mentioned was that uh, we, we had a lot of interaction with uh, the, the wide shots of uh, Viserys and Rhaenyra. But when it came to him and Alicent, they're always tight shots. With Viserys and, and, and oh, yes. Alicent together, they kept the camera in really close on the two of them to to heighten their intimacy. Yeah. So that was what I had picked up on when I was watching it. Yeah, I'm very glad that you brought that up. Um, I wish I, I wish we had more time in this podcast. We could talk about this for days. But yeah, um, there was very much a theme between those two. Um, with the tight shots and the double shots and a lot of shot reverse shots. And the the camera work made it so that um, it wasn't just those two were being in tight shots. It was always juxtaposed with the wide shots between Viserys and Rhaenyra. <laughs> um, and that, that, was, that was a very, and I'm glad you picked up on that and mentioned it, so. Oh, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm trying to stay within the confines of our little segment here. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to go over time. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a really good one. Any anyone else um see anything and point anything out? I like how you mentioned kind of like Rainey's in the background because I felt like with her in the background, kind of checking things out. But then when she was like, kind of like in the forefront of things, like talking to Viserys about about Lena or when she was talking to Rhaenyra, it was like about family or she was like very much the person you don't fuck with when she like in the conversation. <laughs> like she kind of like, it's almost like she's in the background kind of like picking her battles or just kind of like foreseeing or like, just like kind of looking over everything. And then as soon as she's in it, she's like, you don't mess with, with her at all. Like I, I'm looking forward to seeing other kind of like one-on-one -on -one conversations with her and how she'll probably absolutely steamroll everybody. But I, I enjoyed her. <laughs> Her presence. Morgan, what do you have anything uh, to add? 
honestly, uh, I have a lot of feelings, but I don't have a lot that I can add to the actual like details of how things were shown because again, it's just not the way my brain thinks. I don't even process it. Hey, feeling is good. That's part of visual storytelling. Your your vocal parts might not know, but your heart does. So so what are your feelings? Mm-hmm. Oh, so for me, like well, we're talking on the theme of uh, I'm blanking. I, I'm mixing up names. Not Rhaenyra, Rhaenys. Um, the queen who never was. Uh, we're talking about her being ever present and her conversation. And while I don't know if this is very cinematography, but my impression of that whole situation was not that of disdain or manipulation or really any of the things that we've discussed thus far. My, my interpretation was of mentorship and the very first stages of it. I think Rainey's is standing there saying, hey, girl. <laughs> I want to see you get somewhere, but right now you're deluding yourself. Right now, you need to take a step back and start looking at the real situation at hand and start questioning things. Not just trying to prove yourself, but actually look and understand. Because that's um, what... Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm very glad you brought that up because um, this is probably going to be one of those internet topics of debate for a little while. And I'm right there with you. Um, I very much saw, and you could see this with the dialogue between the characters. Um, I very much saw her going, um, look, girl, you're fighting the wrong battle. <laughs> you're fighting the wrong battle. Don't get your hopes up. I've been where you are, and I am where it leads. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, you need to slow your roll. <laughs> you know, I very much saw that as well. Um, yeah, but... I but I, 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 I almost I have a slight disagreement. I don't think that she, I think she thinks that she needs to fight a different battle, but not that she doesn't need to fight this battle, but she needs to wait and prepare better for this battle. Like be more. I don't know. I, I Yeah. Like be more aware of what this battle is, because it's not what you think. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's not what she thinks. And I think she's trying to prepare. Yeah. I think she's trying to prepare her. You can do this someday. Stop trying to do it today. <laughs> Sorry, when you said that, my mind went straight to Lord of the Rings. The day may come where the men of this realm will see a woman sit upon the throne, but it is not this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I that that's where my brain went. Um, and I forgot. No, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Um, one last shot that I wanted to talk about was in the sept, and this was specifically a shot, um, where. After Rhaenyra talks about um, wanting her father to see her as more and she actually opens up and breaks down to Alicent, they grab each other's hands in comfort and you get to see um, the emerald of House Hightower and the ruby of House Targaryen, almost like a foreshadowing of the war between the Reds and the Greens. And I'm kind of like, oh, oh, I saw that thing. I, I'm doing the DiCaprio meme. I, 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 I had that moment and I saw that. So. so something I wanted to bring up and talk about was the choice of costuming and color in this episode. We see there are three queens in blue. So let me share a picture of that. And you could take a look here at what we've got. Oh, crap. What did it do? There we go. 
You just saw my desktop for a moment. Hopefully they could cut that clip out. Uh, so what I wanted to talk about today was the three queens in blue. And we've got nice. Lena, Rhaenys, and Alicent, all of which are wearing blue throughout the course of this episode. Uh, and blue has many different symbolic meanings throughout history. It can mean purity, uh, like within a young maiden, especially like Lena, where she's dressed all in blue from head to toe. You've got wealth, which you've got Rhaenys in her beautiful gown there with the embroidery and the velvet panel down the front. And then power, which is what the high towers represent. So I want you to take a look, first of all, at Lena's dress. It's so very classic princess. It's got a very conservative neckline. It's got that little V-cut down the front and then the V-cut down the bottom into a split skirt. She's got a little capelets on her shoulders. She is innocent. She's 12. There, she's dressed appropriately for a 12-year-old. Right. She's not trying to show anything off. She's dressed as a child of her age and station should be. But she's probably wearing her finest gown because this is her chance to impress the king. Or at least she's been told impress the king. Uh, so they put her in blue as as our first choice to to look at her. Rainies is wearing blue as well. It's a house color, which makes sense to a degree that you would wear clothing in the colors of your house to show your allegiance. And it's very richly detailed to show that she is a woman of status. She's a part of the royal family. It's got that beautiful strip down the front with all the embroidery and beadwork. And then you've got that golden beaded collar there. And then let's get to Allison. Allison's dress is missing something. An undergown. This dress looks as if it was designed to be worn with a shift underneath, which was very common in those days. You would wash your shift, keep that nice and clean, and then wear your clothes over that, uh, as was common in the medieval era. But this dress is specifically showing a lot of skin, uh, everything from her collarbone to down her shoulders to her wrists. Everything is designed to show off skin while still being a little demure, right? She, she isn't throwing herself at the king. But it's very clear from her costume choices from her father's decision on out that she is presenting herself as a mature woman, a woman of standing, a woman of breeding, which is what the, her father is basically selling her out to the king through these to status changes. Um, but it's it's pretty clear that this is this was probably either one of her mother's dresses or it was specifically made for her at her father's request because it is very not in keeping with the maidenly gowns that we saw her wearing while Queen Emma was still alive. So I just wanted to point that out, that they made a very conscious design choice to put all three of them in blue to highlight the similarities between the would-be queens. And at the end of the day, we know which one is, is going to become queen. So that's it. That's it for me. I have a quick question on that one. Um, would you say that the costume designers are kind of making the choice to make like the collarbone, the Westerosi's um, um, equivalent to the ankles of of historical England? Because I'm noticing like, yeah, I, that seems to be like the off the shoulder cut seems to be a, a very alluring look that we've seen Alicent wearing twice now. And then we know that there's there's shots of Lena when she's older wearing a similar off-the-shoulder, off-the-cusp gown, which wasn't really a fashion statement in the Middle Ages, but they seem to be making it one. So I think that is their design choice, is, is it's like they're not showing 
they're showing skin and they're showing body without like making it too obvious or too garish because these are hybrid women so they they are showing what they can within the confines of what is considered decent okay. and, and, and proper for court. So now the so. now our producer knows to put in the saxophone from Careless Whisper whenever we see a clavicle, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's their uh, that's their sexy selling point apparently. <laughs> All right, that's it. Thank you guys. I just wanted to point that costume choice out because that that stood out to me was the queens in blue. So. Hello everyone, my name is Jordan Reynolds, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. And now for our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council digs into some of the biggest moments that came up in the episode. Morgan, I believe you have some questions for us. As always, I've got questions. Uh, And as last time, I'm going to emphasize that my first question is an either-or choice, and you have to pick. Don't answer (laughs) both, Solar. Okay, are you going to pick this time? Uh, Anyways. (laughs) Yeah, are are you going to pick? No, I I am not subject to my own rules. All right, moving on. Uh, Tyrant! The first question is... Yes. Uh, The first question is, what is your favorite moment or character in this episode and why? Let's start with Sam. So I... I'm going to have to go with the my favorite character, uh, and I'm going with the crab feeder, uh, Kragas Drahar, Ooh. strictly because strictly because when I, like, you know, have read this story and, like, the that whole, like, you kind of read over, like, what happens, and, like, I didn't appreciate it enough, it enough when I read it, and then when they put him on the screen i was like holy shit he's terrifying he's so cool like the whole crap like like the actual crabs eating people and just the like mask and just like the look on his face of just i don't even know he's he's so creepy looking and i loved it so much i know he did absolutely nothing in the show other than just look menacing but that was enough for me so yeah uzma what who what was your uh favorite character or moment my favorite moment, but it will also answer who is my favorite character in this episode. Wasn't my me. favorite was moment not me. was <laughs> <laughs> my, fa- my favorite moment was when Renira showed up and retrieved the egg. <laughs> she was such a badass in this scene. 
and uh, what i love the most was the look on sir otto's face it was like she ruined his plan and you can see it like <laughs> he was so mad. he looked so mad at that time because uh, they were throwing insults at damon and they were trying to provoke him but uh, damon was just smiling and taking their insult insults like it was nothing and uh, then renira <laughs> came and uh, resolved the issue resolved the issue with without any uh, bloodshed and uh, that ruined otto's plan which i think was to get damon to take the first action so he could claim that damon rebelled against the crown and he could remove damon what do you think morgan oh so my very favorite scene is one of the last scenes it's the scene where good old king viserys who i definitely love um <laughs> declared his intention to marry um <laughs> oh and and i think uzma you were the one who actually mentioned this earlier that in this scene you can see the tension in that room as the king is dithering uh slowly <laughs> slowly not exactly declaring things he's there's that long pregnant pause right everybody you're like seeing all the faces and you can see Rhaenyra looking to Allison Allison trying not to look at Rhaenyra like ah uh, just the intensity of that moment was just oh I loved it because we all know what was going to be said right I mean maybe some members of the audience did not know but we all knew I knew what was coming <laughs> would you say that it made you shiver with anticipation say it <laughs> oh my <laughs> um uh, yes but also i was just i was i really liked the pause right i wanted to see everybody's expressions and then i wanted to see what happened afterward like the actual declaration the moment that he said the word wasn't the point the point was what came before and what came after and it just seeing her walk right out of that room Princess, be pissed. <laughs> you know, Sir Otto was also sitting there like giddy. He's like, oh, I can't wait for him to tell everybody. Like, he was so excited for it, that bastard. God, I hate him. Otto's like, I win. Play the Game of Thrones and didn't die. Ha, ha, ha. Guess what, Otto? It's episode two. Um, <laughs> yeah, wait. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was such an epic scene. Um, what about you, Solar? Me? Um, you know, this was a tough one when I when I read it a little earlier, because I'm like, all right, who was there? And I was kind of split between three characters. OK, I was definitely split between Damon and Corliss because like Corliss has my heart, like the dude that's trying to get stuff done. But the real answer came in two scenes and um. And the scene that Uzma mentioned made me do something that I don't very I don't do very often, um, which was um, <clears throat> when she wrote in, took charge, got the egg, put it back, wrote off. I literally stood up going, my queen. All right. So my favorite character from this episode was Rhaenyra. I mean, she owned almost every scene that she was in, but. She was really pushed over the top for me 
um, in that scene and one other because almost every scene that she was in after the first scene in the council was, how can I put this um, diplomatically? Shut the fuck up, Otto. Everything that she did was pretty much telling him to shut from choosing um, a Sir Bay of House Phallic symbol as the Kingsguard to um, fixing the situation, saving her uncle's life and going, what? I'm right here. Come at me, bruh. And then looking at Otto Hightower saying, all right, we good. To even having the confrontation with her father saying, I did it without bloodshed. And I don't think that, that Otto would have been able to do that by himself, even to the point where the King had to be like, you know, you had a line, but I know you right. <laughs> you know, I mean, just everything that she did in the scene. And of course her confrontation with uh, princess Rainey's where she kind of went in there with her, with her hackles up, and she was given as good as she got. And then it was like, look, I ain't trying to get a rise out of you. I'm actually trying to soften your blow because you go and fall. And I don't want you to be as embittered by the time you're my age as um as I am <laughs> at my age. So, yeah, honestly, she she was my MVP for this episode. This was really good. And it's very rare that I'll say that about a child actor. But um, even afterwards um because i watched the episode twice because of the raven's eye the second time i watch it with no volume just to make sure that i can see the camera and the fact that i saw her crying after king viserys made his um made his announcement first she started speaking cat to um Allison and all of the blinkings that are like, how could you do this to me? I thought we were friends and you kind of kept me in the dark about all this to tearing up. I'm like, oh, well, well done. Well done. I cannot wait to see the next episode and to see what she's going to do and how she's going to own face politically. So, yeah, uh, honestly, Rain, um, Rhaenyra, um MVP for this episode. And she took it both from Damon and Corliss. So that says a lot. See, I only answered one scene, one one. Yeah, I, I, I answered one question. So I'm going to need you to get all the way off my back for skirting the rules. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I still ha I still like how you started with I had three favorites, but I'll go yeah, with one. Yeah, <laughs> we heard that. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, that's the whole thing. And if you're not gonna get all the way off my back, then kind of scratch it while you're there. You know, that, that's just kind of a thing. You know, reciprocity. I get it. I get it. Uh, did we get everyone? I feel like we only got. No, we haven't Constance. gotten. Constance gotta go. Yeah. Constance, I need to hear yours. All right, so I'm gonna go with Damon because he has the biggest balls out of anybody <laughs> to. Take a dress, not not to go. Solar was going off on this before the show, but not not to steal his thunder. But he he sends that letter saying, "Hey, I'm Prince of Dragonstone. You're not going to argue with me. I'm going to take a second wife because I hate my first. <laughs> I'm going to take my whore as my second wife. You will refer to her as the Lady of Dragonstone. And by the way, I'm taking this egg with me and my sword. You ain't getting this back. That takes a lot of." Oh. Don't forget inviting the king to his wedding at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, you all are invited to We're my wedding. We're registered at Target, by Come the way. Just, just one. Yeah. 
And most of it was so, a fucking lie. <laughs> and it was a lie, right? Like he tells, like Masaria's like, we're getting married. He's like, yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. I'm having, I'm pregnant. No, we'll have kids eventually. <laughs> he's, he's just bluffing. It's the biggest bluff. And Otto called it. He's just looking to get, he's just looking to get that, uh, that cast iron pot from, from Crate and Barrel, you know? Hey, you know, it's a good pot. Put the dragon in It's a really in good it. pot. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Crate and barrel's yeah. expensive. And, oh, and don't forget that whole, um, I'll talk about my family however I want, but you best watch your mouth. You know, he's really big on that. I love that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like you can insult your family because you love them. You've grown up with them. You've earned that privilege. Other people do not. Yeah. So that's, that was my choice. So that's, that's who I stand by for this episode is Matt Smithy Smith. And I was almost there with you. Awesome. Yeah, I was almost there with you, Constance. But, you know, just Rhaenyra going around saying, I am the definition of tiny, but fierce. <laughs> and just, I'm, I'm just like, yes. wow. Wow. You know. I don't say Damon as my favorite because uh, you all know he's my favorite throughout the <laughs> <Yeah>. series. <laughs> we, so we know. We know. I, I try to pick characters besides Damon because uh, <laughs> we all know he's already my favorite. <laughs> we can we can wait till the, we can wait till the finale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where we find out it was Damon all along. <laughs> My second question, what do you think of the opening credits for House of the Dragon? We didn't have it in the first episode. We saw it in the second. What were your thoughts? I'm going to start with Constance. I was kind of let down. Um, after the, the beauty and the grandeur that we saw in Game of Thrones, where they were doing active storytelling with the, the sun, the astrolabe around the sun that showed Robert's Rebellion, and then the, the different locations throughout all of Westeros giving us an indication of where we're going to be. I think most of the action is going to be at King's Landing, so they can't do that, right? Um, it, it looked to me like the bloodlines of Old Valeria showing the, the Targaryen dynasty and the different Targaryens. But it was dark. It was hard to see. It was really hard to make out. And the music... I was hoping for something new, right? New series, new soundtrack. It felt like they were being lazy in repeating the, the, the theme song, even though it's kind of like, this is the same world that we're in. They could have done something, a variation on the Game of Thrones theme, and I would have been happier. Uh, so I, I, like I said, yeah, I was a little let down. Um, Sam, how did you like it? Um, I'm on the opposite side. I loved it. I was a I'm a big fan of the old theme song. I was sitting there headbanging to it, getting real like into it, like da na 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 all that stuff. Um, <laughs> I I do I do kind of agree with you with the with the visuals. They were, it, I think that was like the coolest part of the old one was like getting to see like all of Westeros. Like obviously, like you said, it's in it's in King's Landing. But I, the one thing I did think it was cool is like how it did look very Valyrian. And a friend pointed this out to me about how we've been kind of seeing a lot of like kind of Valyrian-esque looking things in this series so far, which is like pretty cool. Like, you know, it's a pretty unknown thing from like the show and the books about how like what is the architecture? Like what what is the style of Valyrian? So like we're, I feel like we kind of got that in the intro a little bit, which I thought was good. But no, I, I'm a fan. I, I love the old music, and I think it's like, 
I'm a sucker for the nostalgia stuff, so I think it was like cool to like bring it back to like this is still Game of Thrones, just different Game of Thrones. So like I I was a fan. Uh, Morgan, what'd you think? I I was mixed. Like I had really mixed feelings. Uh, I really I really got bored. I like so I was thinking about it in the long term, right? Every opening sequence was different for Game of Thrones, slightly different, right? And as the different episodes went to different places, you could see the drastic changes and you could really expect certain things. You could be like, oh, we're going to Dorne today. Cool. It's a Dorne episode. And you just knew because of the beginning of the episode, it told you. With this... I mean, I get that we're, we're seeing about the different kings and whatnot in a very, very abstract, hard-to-follow, kind of confusing way. Um, and I say that kindly. Um, but, but I really... I don't see how that varies episode to episode. Now, I know that we haven't seen a, the third episode, so we haven't seen a second rendition of the opening sequence. But I can't see how it creates that excitement. It makes it something I can skip. And I loved that I never wanted to skip the opening uh, sequence for Game of Thrones. And it kind of just, it feels like I lost something. I don't know. Uh, Solar. You know, I'm on the same bus as Constance, but not in the same seat. Um, but we can high five. Because um, when I'm like, when it first came on, I'm like, oh, we do have opening credits. And I didn't realize that I missed them last week. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, did last week not have? Oh, no, they didn't. Okay, cool. And um, all right. So the filmmaker in me is saying bad call with the blood because CGI liquid always looks CGI. Um nice idea with everything leading to house Targaryen and all the blood falling into the pit. That is their sigil again, symbolism, but, um, it was so hard to follow. I didn't know what I was looking at. Like at least, um, in the old credits, when they pulled back to the astrolabe, um, by the second or third time watching it, you're kind of going, oh, it's an astrolabe and it's showing us all these different houses and where they are geographically. <clears throat> and I've watched that opening sequence four times and I still don't get it. So um, I'm like, guys, I don't know what you're aiming at and I can't even see what you meant to aim at. So I'm going to say if you hit it, I wouldn't know. And the second thing was I was disappointed in the same theme song. Um, now I get that this is a Game of Thrones show and I get, you know, being a theater kid, the, can you hear me in the back? <laughs> um, kind of stuff that's out there, you know, it's just a matter of, I realize that this is now a franchise, you know, having two or more properties, but if you're going to use the same theme music, then use the theme music as the outro, not the intro so that, um, so that fans and watchers can differentiate the feeling between shows. So I'm right there. I wanted a variation on a motif at a very le at the very least, if not a new theme song, you know, something, you know, and I'm not, it doesn't have to be, um, 
weird, but there was there's a massive, massive difference between the theme song to The Next Generation and the theme song to Deep Space Nine, though they are both Star Trek. And I'm not asking for like a country and Western thing for Enterprise, but at least they tried something, you know? So, um, so yeah, I was very, very disappointed with the fact that they used the same theme music um, for the opening. And yeah, um, but looking at it as a franchise as well, I get that they're trying to tie stuff in. And this let me know that <clears throat> this isn't going to be the last Game of Thrones show. Okay, the, the, the music was literally illustrating to me that the hands were on the fruit or the hands were on the udders and they are going to keep milking this with the <laughs> with the um, show about the Roinar, possibly the Duncan Egg books. But it's like, hey, this is going to be a Game of Thrones show. And guess what? You'll be able to watch all of them in chronological order by 2029, you know, and that's not what I wanted to see. I wanted the show to be able to stand on its own and remind us. And um, it reminds me being a prequel of how a lot of prequels include characters from the stuff you already know, like the Hobbit trilogy, including Legolas. We don't care. Um, or the Star Trek or the Star Wars um, prequels from the early 2000s, putting Chewbacca in the Clone Wars. Don't care i don't need the member berries just tell me the good story and i'll and i'll see how it links but i don't need that shoved down my throat and i don't think the audience does either so very disappointed very disappointed so um uzma <laughs> i'm actually with sam on this one i love the game of thrones music <laughs> I'm so divided it kind of connected Game of Thrones to me. It reminded me of the old days when I, I, I used to listen to this music and I never skipped the intro and everything, <laughs> watching uh, everything. And I think the intro tells the story of Valyria uh, from the moment uh, they found dragons in the volcano to uh, the Aegon's conquest and after the doom. Uh, and the blood flowing shows the death of Valyrians and uh, at the end, we see all the blood pooling into uh, the House Targaryen sigil. Uh, maybe it's kind of implying that House Targaryen is the only uh, house left uh, after all the after the doom and everything. And we get to see uh, many other things in the opening credits as well, uh, like. Uh, the con uh, Miraxa's death and uh, the Aegon's conquest and a lot of other things. I think that's what they were trying to imply. Uh, so that's what my theory is. Yeah, I, I agree. I can see once I did a little bit of research, I could see what their implications were. I just it wasn't obvious upon viewing. Do, were you able to tell Uzma, like on the initial viewing, what it was? No, I, I usually take screenshots, and after that, I I heighten, like brighten the scenes, uh, the screenshots a little bit, and after that, I zoom in and study each. Um, there was even uh, <laughs> there was even a shot of uh, Drogon with, uh, I think, nine uh, shields. Uh, beneath uh, it, uh, like next to it, you can see uh, different houses of uh, Westeros in it. Like there was a house uh, 
there were the Starks, Lannisters, uh, Greyjoy, and um, all the great Black houses. Black Haven. The, the great houses, yeah. For for Aegon. I think it was more than great houses. Uh, there was uh, some. There were some smaller houses too, like Black ha- Black Haven, right? The tree one. The tree surrounded by shields. I think it was House Black Heaven. I'll have to check that again, but I think it was. So there were nine or ten shields of will um, beside his. Him. Yeah, I mean, interesting. I, I get where you're coming from on that. I'm just thinking for the average viewer that isn't um, as obsessive or as detailed audience as we are, <laughs> the opening sequence should be an opening sequence, not an augmented reality game. <laughs> where we have to go into all that <laughs> investigation and stuff. So, I actually, yeah. uh, I'm actually used to doing it because I used to study uh, the intros of each episode because uh, they used to tell what's going to happen in a particular mm-hmm. episode. So uh, I used to take screenshots of every uh, single intro to check out what's new. Like uh, in the episode, uh, I think it was in a. When the wall fell, uh, or before that, you could see these in the intro that there was a new wall, or uh, it wasn't there, and all these tiny uh, details and clues. So I thought maybe we'll find some clues in it. But it was uh, basically the story of Valeria from uh, Valerians from the beginning to House Targaryen. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe in the next one we'll see a different house's legacy being uh, demonstrated. That would be interesting to me. Uh, Yeah. But, all right, moving right on. So, my next question is, what is the greatest mistake any character committed in this episode? (laughs) In your opinion. (laughs) Wow. What is the greatest mistake? Solar laughed. Solar goes first. (laughs) <laughs> it's obvious <laughs> the greatest mistake any character did in this was I'm announcing that I am to be wed to her <laughs> you know that was the greatest mistake in this episode you know um, I, I saw um, I don't know if you guys watch Atlanta but there was one episode where someone finds out something that they didn't want to find out and they go and talk to a bunch of different people about the situation until they got the answer that they wanted. And that's what I saw Viserys doing this episode, where it was like, when everybody was like, no, honestly, Lady Lady Lena's the good match. Yeah, that's a good call. It gets you the ships. It does everything that they said it would do. It's a good match. That, I, but she's 12. Yeah, for now, she won't be forever, you know? Um, and again, that whole stepping up from a 12-year-old to a 15-year-old. Yeah, that's a jump. Um, so I'm just like, <laughs> you know, um, I'm just like going, you know, I know what's going to happen. I've read the stories. I know the lore. And the biggest mistake is the one that makes me get up and look at the TV going, no, you idiot. And that was it. <laughs> you know, I don't think there was a bigger mistake made in the entire, in the entire show, you know. I mean, you even had um, Lionel Strong going, nah, you should go for the (laughs) 12-year-old. You know, the dude who never talks. (laughs) um, And I've never found myself um, agreeing with the Grand Maester about anything at any time except for when it was Sam. So I'm just kind of going, yeah, you know, everybody told you turn left and you turn right because I'm very lucky that... um, that 
Patty Constadine is such a charismatic actor <laughs> because it's really easy to go, oh man, you are you are King Stupid of of bleedy hands because you just oh man. But you know what? I like you, and I, I like that you. I, I could hang out with you, you know that that kind of thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I laughed. It's like the biggest mistake. That one, <laughs> the one that ended the episode, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so I'm passing this to somebody else. <laughs> Go ahead, Constance. Yeah, I laughed second. So <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it's it's hard to disagree with Solar. It, it It's nearly impossible to disagree. I mean, that everyone laid out the reasonable argument, but then Otto being Otto, fuck that guy tower had to go and throw in the little line about oh i miss my wife it would be such a shame if i had to marry for duty oh all that guy needs is a parrot voiced by gilbert Gottfried. that's all he's missing (sighs) it's it's so obvious from our perspective that what he's doing but he's telling viserys exactly what he wants to hear Right. He's justifying Viserys marrying his 15 year old girlfriend, you know, her, his daughter's literal best friend and bosom buddy companion, you know, pillow friend or whatever you want to call them. Possibly even girlfriend. And that that's cool, yeah. too. Yeah. You know, I was dating a chick yeah. and then my dad took her like, what the hell? It's Jerry Springer all over again. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue that that was the worst decision because he's alienating. Corliss, he's alienating his daughter, uh, and both of them are very important people, and he's doing what he feels is right, even though everybody told him it's the wrong choice. <laughs> so, Uzma, you laughed. Your turn. Wait, wait, wait. I want to say something. God damn it, uh, Rob Stark, stop marrying for love. <laughs> right? <laughs> you can throw Seriously. Tyrion Lannister in there, too. <laughs> We've seen this wedding. We don't need it again. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Booza. My bad. What's funny is in the uh, intro for the uh, the preview for the next episode, uh, Vis- uh, Viserys was lecturing Rhaenyra for duty and responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> And I noticed that Otto and Alicent love to uh, dis- uh, use the death of. Uh, their mother and wife to, you know, get their hooks into House Targaryen for power. Anyway, uh, if it wasn't limited to this episode, I would have said the Lords of the Great Council voting for Viserys. <laughs> but uh, since since it's limited to this episode, I would say, I don't know. Uh, yes, uh, that was a great uh, mistake, but I think the most... Uh, I would say the biggest mistake was Viserys trusting Otto. So, if uh, he didn't, uh, he didn't, he doesn't stop Otto from, uh, it feels like Otto can do anything and he can just get away with it. And that's uh, the same thing he does with Damon. He doesn't take action. He doesn't, uh, like, uh, people know that there will be no consequences for their actions. They can do whatever they want. And that's what uh, Otto does. Uh, just like when he told uh, Viserys, I will not allow it. And I, and he said, uh, Viserys knows that uh, if Otto went there, there will be bloodshed. Uh, when Rhaenyra said that, he agreed with it. Which means he knew that there will be bloodshed. And still he sent Otto. Like he literally could have sent anyone. Mm-hmm. 
maybe the maester or anyone uh, to retrieve the egg and uh, it would have settle, uh, settled peacefully. He knew that Otto and Damon doesn't get mm-hmm. along and he still sent Otto. Why? Because Otto said I'll yeah, go. Yeah, I mean... And Viserys was like, yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that was the perfect chance to send Lionel Strong, the master of laws. <laughs> it's like... Look at all these laws that are broken. I need my sheriff out there to go take care of it. No, sir, I'll do it as your vice president. And I'm like, oh, God, I hate you. I just, I hate everything about, again, I see Allison sitting in her house. Excellent work, Allison. You know, I just, oh, God, you know. By the way, thank you, Morgan. I'll never be able to watch Aladdin and enjoy it ever again. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, Sam, go ahead. Uh, I think I think the worst mistake Viserys probably made this episode was not taking uh, Corliss' advice on the crab feeder more seriously. I think that if he would have maybe just been like, yeah, we'll send some ships down there and handle that problem, then maybe Corliss would have been less inclined to like put forth another like um, a marriage so quickly. Like I think the marriage thing was always going to be something for the king down the road, but maybe it wouldn't have the fast forward button wouldn't have been hit. So like at that moment, you know, like Corliss might've been like, cool, let's get some ships. Let's move on down. And it probably would have been, he would have been gone for however long it would have taken to handle the stepstones. Uh, it would have left Otto, but I don't even think marriage was on Sir Otto's radar so fast. Just like, it was obviously on his mind cause he sent Allison to Viserys, but I don't think he, he would have been as on it unless he would have no unless Corliss was like, Hey, Mary Lena, and then Otto was like, oh, shit, I need to get moving. So I feel like if he would have just handled the step zones better, it would have, like, domino effect handled everything else better. But it's easy to say that in hindsight. So No, I agree. Uh, I'm going to jump in because that's my answer, too. Uh, so I think uh, the greatest mistake was Viserys choosing inaction when action was called for. Now, yes, he chose a wife. Maybe not the right wife, you know, but, you know, I, I, I can I can understand marrying for love even when you're being completely manipulated and controlled by Jafar. I mean, Hightower. <laughs> um, but. But the that aside, he just keeps dithering. He keeps ignoring anything. He's like, oh, something bad's happening. Huh. And if I don't do anything about it. Everybody's going to, like, do their own thing, and I don't have to worry about it, and I still get to sit on the throne? Cool, it's cool. It's kind of like a niece. It's like his his grandfather, or great-grandfather, grandfather and niece. Yeah. Targaryen, the, who made absolutely no decisions in the in the country, nearly went to war with it, itself. Uh, right. And their excuse was that they were saving the lives of people. But what about the sailors, <laughs> the sa- those who were innocent? You saw them getting eaten by the crabs. Although... Right, and I am no warmonger, as I've made it very clear in previous episodes. <laughs> however, however, when there are conflicts arising sitting around and making no decisions at all is not the answer. You have to at least do something. The choice uh, to do nothing is not really a choice. Yeah, you can sail into it, yeah. you can sail around it, but you don't want to wait for it to hit you. Um, yeah. I will say the second worst decision I can see in this episode was Alicent not being straight with her best friend. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. Because, you know, I mean... But uh, Viserys asked her not to. Viserys, Viserys did ask her not to, but that means she chose... Like, I get that Viserys is the king, right? But Viserys... But, but Alicent chose Viserys over the girl who she was closest to in the world, right? Yes, he's the king, and her, her father told her, told her to boink him, and she was like, okay, yes, daddy. And things got creepy from there but she still chose to ignore the respect that she had for her best friend to the point where her best friend possibly crush possibly lover possibly who knows hashtag rainira and alicent forever um would that be ray alicent yes <laughs> ray alicent yes, uh, yeah Yes, hashtag Raylicent because I love me some lesbian shipping. Um, but yes, they. She broke her heart, either as a friend or a lover or whatever. She broke her heart just by not being open and communicating. He asked her not to tell her about their talks, that what they were specifically talking about. She could have at least said something. Said that they were just talking. Saying. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah and, and who knew I think that unpainted? Scared. Sorry, go ahead. Who knew that unpainted miniature figurines could be the way to a man's heart? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, I figured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. That's that's most yeah, of our audience. Yeah, I assume. Yeah, yeah many of those fuck, men. Yeah, fuck me up with yeah, some Uzma? little miniatures. I love that shit, dude. Do yeah. you know how much <laughs> an Imperial Knight costs? <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Cus custom made. Custom-made figurines are you know, not cheap. That made me want to go to Washington with a 3D printer. Oh, I brought you something, Lord. <laughs> wow. Now, Usma, you're going to say something? Yeah, uh, in uh, Alison's case, I think she was uh, scared that uh, how Rhaenyra will uh, react to it. And if he went, if she went to Viserys, he will find out that Alison, uh, despite him telling her not to tell, and she did. And he will push her away. And that would make Otto mad. And maybe that's why she, she was scared. And that's why she didn't. Yeah, but neither it. one of them were. Make, still, she was wrong. Yeah, well, neither one of them were Maker the Cruel or Joffrey the Jackass. Since everybody else was walking all <laughs> uh, over the king, she could too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think the king likes to be walked on. Just saying. Um, All right. Yeah, that I'm is to agree my questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think those, those are, my are from the Iron Throne. <laughs> oh my! Uh, but yes, uh, right back to you, Sam. <laughs> All right. Uh, for our final segment, we have the fans of the dragon, where Usman Constance will give us trivia polls about the world of ice and fire, and questions and comments from you, the listeners. All you, Usman Constance. Okay, so let's start with our trivia for this week. Um, what have we dubbed Watch Party Canon? There's something that we have determined is <laughs> canon in our heads for the world of Ice and Fire. What was that? So that's that's your question for trivia this week. Uh, so then let's turn it over to Uzma with the poll. Sure. The poll for this episode is who was the most annoying, annoying or unlikable character in episode two? <laughs> and the winner is... <laughs> Otto Hightower with 50%. <laughs> 50%. That's impressive. 
<laughs> but Viserys is also close by 23%. <laughs> so for me, it was Viserys. Uh, he, he was really annoying because he didn't, he was the one who chose Rhaenyra as his heir, but laughed at her decisions, n never took her seriously. He made so many mistakes in this episode. Like uh, we were discussing mistakes and almost everyone's answer went back to Viserys. So, <laughs> yeah, my answer would have been Viserys, but majority of the fans think Otto Hightower. What do you <laughs> think, Constance? No, I'm 100% in agreement with the poll. <laughs> it's Otto. <laughs> uh, so next we have uh, fan mail, which came from Siobhan, who's with our sister show, Watch Party Wheel of Time. And uh, they write, caveat, I have not watched Game of Thrones or read much of the book. So this may be a topic that has already been tossed around. One of the things that I thought was being hinted at in the first episode is that the Targaryen house is already showing the first signs of collapse due to inbreeding. The first hint is when the queen lists Emma lists off several children who are stillborn or miscarried or who died shortly after birth. The second hint is where the scene where the healers are treating the king's skin condition, which they call a wound that will not heal. This could be any number of health conditions, and it lays a clear path to future conflict where the king's health fails, but it also sounds to me like a call to hemophilia, a health condition that impacted many of the royal families in Europe in the 18th and 20th, 19th and 20th centuries, and we all know how much inbreeding is an issue in that group of people. Inbreeding is not only associated with poor health, but also with mental instability and cognitive impairment, so I'm curious as to whether or not this is something they're planning to use as a plot driver. Not having a clear heir causes the first rift, but if the king and other members of the royal court are succumbing to madness, well, that's going to push everything over the cliff in a big way. Just a thought. Enjoying the podcast. Siobhan. Uh, so let's talk about that for a moment with the uh, Targaryen inbreeding, which is something that we're going to see, unfortunately, quite a bit of in the, in the episodes to come, uh, just because that is their way. We've discussed this before with like the uh, doctrine that uh, Jaehaerys had, had written saying, it's okay for us, not anybody else, but it's okay for us. And the uh, precedent set in Old Valeria where they were doing this kind of inbreeding and, and close cousin breeding. Um, but the saying is, I believe, when the gods flip a coin, when a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin, whether they'll be great or they'll be mad. Uh, and that kind of inbreeding does definitely take place. Uh, and we do definitely see signs of it, especially in the later Targaryen dynasties with, uh, the mad king himself, who was Daenerys' father. And that was his, his moniker was the mad king because he was quite literally insane. So down the road, it does become a big issue. Um. But what do y'all think about this? What, how do you think it's going to come into play in this current scenario? Uh, Uzma? It has been a popular theory that uh, inbreeding is the result, uh, the madness is the result of inbreeding. And uh, since uh, if we look outside of House Targaryen, we can look at Joffrey. He was also um, considered kind of mad. <laughs> he was not definitely right in the hand. Uh, and he was... Uh, born because of inbreeding so it's uh, definitely a possibility and we know we'll get to see a lot of inbreeding in house of the dragon so yes it's possible some targaryens might go <laughs> mad in the end <laughs> what do you think uh sam um i'm a bit on the fence about it i guess because i mean i feel like we see issues with like with birth with a lot of families in in Westeros and 
I, I like obviously there's like signs of madness with certain Targaryens, but then there's signs of Targaryens that act for the most part pretty normal. So I, I and, and with the the whole addition of the uh, Song of Ice and Fire prophecy, I feel like now there's an extra layer of like were they mad or were they just like worried? So I I, I like I feel like there's definitely part of it that I think is like inbreeding and they're getting the madness is coming out. Um, I don't necessarily think that the, like the illness side of it is there, but like, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a, like a little bit of mix of both because people are dying in, in birth and, and children are dying from like from birth all the time. So it's like, I, I, I'm kind of in between because obviously like it's inbreeding. So there's probably going to be issues with it, but I go, I go back and forth about it. But what about you, Morgan? I, I think, I don't think anybody's acting particularly mad. I think a lot of people look at things and say, ah, that character's acting in a way I don't agree with. Madness. Uh, I don't think anybody's acting particularly mad at this point. Could they potentially be traumatized at some point? Uh, yep. Does losing several children in childbirth traumatize you yep does being a king and told that your only value or a queen told that your only value comes in producing an heir and continuing the dynasty traumatize you yep a lot of factors are in play here that are really fucking people up in a lot of bad ways and while inbreeding is definitely a factor as far as health because i do think that they might be making um connection to hemophilia with the wounds that won't stop bleeding six months later um but i don't think that madness is necessarily a factor at the moment i think just good old human weakness is at play uh and human emotions are at play um but yeah uh what do you think constance you're the one who uh, asked us all well, uh, I, I think I see Solar flipping a coin there. <laughs> uh oh. Are the small folk holding their breath? Well, yeah. Um, okay, so I partly agree with Morgan, and the health things are there. What I will say before I start is I'm really sorry, Uzma. I really am. Okay, now that I've said that, uh -oh. um, I agree <laughs> with Morgan on the. Um, Actually, Morgan is bolstering my initial thought, which was we're already seeing those effects um, in the health conditions. I mean, the hemophilia being a prime example. Oh, no, I cut my finger six months later. Oh, we might be able to save that digit. I'm like, do you have no vitamin K in Westeros or what? Um, and the second part is I'm seeing the madness in Damon. I'm seeing it all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry. Don't hate me. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing the madness in Damon because of his temper, because of his, what's the term I'm looking for? Let's call it his jazz musicians, um, his jazz musicians affinity for situational improvisation. Like, what was the point of taking Dragonstone or poking fun at all that stuff and then lying about your girl being pregnant, even though she, she like, he ended this episode with everybody mad at him, including his paramour. And what's the purpose? 
You know, he may as well have dyed his Targaryen hair green, put on some lipstick and talked uh, and told um, told his paramour and freaking Otto Hightower to stop being so serious because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the madness come out, you know, not in the whoop, whoop, woo ways. But I also don't think that the madness like conditions like schizophrenia and post-traumatic stress disorder and all that stuff. I don't think that those conditions are either or situations. You know, I think it's a little bit of madness here, a little bit of madness there, a couple of moments of clarity here, a couple of elucidations there, a little more madness. It's a cocktail of unmanageable life. So I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing that very much in the decisions that Damon makes. Um, the five failed pregnancies of um, Queen Emma and, of course, the complete lack of immune system in King Viserys. So, yeah, I think inbreeding has a lot to do and it's really showing its head in very realistic ways across most of the, of the Targaryen line, except for Princess Rhaenyra and Princess Rhaenys. You know, that's what I'm seeing. Hang on. <gasps> Okay, yeah, yeah, that that that's definitely what I'm seeing. <laughs> Again, Uzba, don't hate me. Okay. In in defense of Damon, I think he was just acting out to get attention of Viserys. Uh, he wanted uh, his brother's attention. It he was uh, just, uh, we have discussed in the last episode that he was he sometimes acts like a child, and I think that's uh, what he was trying to do. He wasn't trying to gain any power or anything, and he was still happy when he when Rhaenyra came. Okay, my brother is not coming. At least my niece is here. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm seeing madness in the method, not in the intent. I mean, you want the attention. He could have sent the cake, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, he didn't have to rob them. I'm pretty sure Otto Hightower would have eaten it. I'm pretty sure Otto Hightower would have eaten it. If he sent the, the cake. cake. <laughs> kind of reminds me of Hamlet, you know, acting out, <laughs> acting all crazy, but he's really got a plan. Uh... You know, there's there when the wind blows north, north, westerly. I know a hawk from a handsaw. Is that that's not exactly the line, but it's close. Um, so yeah, I don't think I don't think that Damon is insane or suffering from the Targaryen madness. I think he's just got a hot head, and he's got something to prove, and he just wants yeah, to be noticed. A lot noticed. of people have a bad temper. You can yeah. call me Polonius on this yeah. one. Tis true, tis pity. Pity <laughs> tis, tis true. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think I think a lot of us are not considering the idea that when you're in such a position of power in such a family with all this power and you know your brother is fucking weak, <laughs> is it really all that madness <laughs> to do all this stuff when you know you can get away with it? Is it madness? I mean, like, if he, if he did anything less, would his brother even... His brother didn't even come. <laughs> he did all this and his brother didn't show up. I don't think a cake would have done the trick. I'm I'm stating <laughs> madness. Now I'm not stating madness with the caveat of madness is bad. I'm I'm talking mag madness <laughs> as in an unreadable, nonlinear um um order of thought and behavior. Okay. I'm I'm talking neurodivergent equals madness, not madness equals bad. And I'm putting that call out there, you know? Yeah. And everything you just said adds to my case of madness, powerful family, 
inbreeding, um, pressures of power, all of that causes madness in regular people. So you add the inbreeding on there and you open the door to it a little wider. You know, not that it's bad. That's fair. But that it's there. <laughs> that that's I, I don't come at it with any sort of judge, any sort of condemnation. I'm just recognizing that. Yeah, I get I, that. I'm I'm saying that the madness is already there. It's rearing its ugly head, and we haven't seen much of it in specifically Rainey's and Rhaenyra. But everybody else, yeah, we're seeing them effects hard, except. And and um, uh, this is no slight toward the actress in Rhaenyra's lack of chin. It's a very Lovecraftian chin, a very noble chin. Rhaenyra is also heavily traumatized and reacts very minimally in most situations while she's analyzing, listening, and only speaking when she knows she has something to say that's of meaning. She is clearly a person who doesn't feel secure or safe. Uh, I am also highly neurodivergent. So, uh, yeah. Ditto. That's my thought. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, yeah. It's game recognized game. I'm just saying it's there. Not that mine is there from inbreeding, but, you know, it, it's, it's mine is there. So, yeah, I'm seeing it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that takes care of that topic. So thank you for your question, Siobhan. We really appreciate it. If anyone else has any fan mail or comments or topics they'd love to hear us discuss, please hit us up. Sam, what's our email again? Uh, our email is watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. All right. And with that, we're going to end with our final segment. Everybody, one, two, three. Who's, Who's that? Dragomon! How we might, got worse. We, we might get it right at the end of the season. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Now strap in because this one's not. a little long. Uh, we're going to talk about a dragon that was referenced in this last episode, a, a slender blue dragon with secondary silver markings, referred to as a she-dragon because it is confirmed that she's laid several clutches of eggs, the most recent of which lies in the confines of the dragon pit under the watchful eye of the Valerian dragon keepers. Born sometime in the 20s after conquest, she bonded with Princess Reyna Targaryen in 32 AC, and by 35, she was big enough to ride. Reyna was the daughter of King Aenys and wife to her brother Aegon. When she and Aegon wed, their father sent them on progress on horseback instead of by dragon, as Aegon had yet to claim a dragon, and Aenys did not want his son outshone by his dragon-riding daughter. So our silver blue remained in King's Landing for the duration of their of their wedding tour. Now, when Maegar the Cruel, Rhaenyra's half-uncle, seized the throne and killed Aegon, Rhaenyra hid with her dragon on Fair Isle for some time before she was summoned back to King's Landing, where she became one of the six black brides of Maegor the Cruel. She agreed to this because Tyanne of the Tower took her daughters and used them as hostages. So even though she had a dragon, she was still subject to the whims of Maegor. Until they escaped, the two of them flying away from the Red Keep, where she took the ancestral sword Blackfire away... And then Megor, of course, died in a very messy death with his wrist slit and, and through the chest. And, you know, that was a good thing. But uh, her, she, uh, her, King Jaehaerys, her brother, took dragons, gave her dragon stone as her, as her mount, where our dragon laid eggs. And within that year, sadly, Reyna's female companions were all murdered by her husband, Andrew Farman, using the Tears of Lys, the poison that we saw in Game of Thrones. When his crime was discovered, Andrew committed suicide by leaping from the window of the painted table, and Renea had his body hacked to pieces and fed to her blue dragon and all the other dragons of Dragonstone, so they got to enjoy some uh, long pig, I believe it's called. Um, and Renea discovered that her daughter, Arya, 
had ridden Balarion and fled Dragonstone around the end of 54 AC. And she flew this dragon far and wide, searching for her daughter. And then in 56, they, she learned that they returned and that her daughter had died of an incurable, horrible disease. And from the back of her silver blue, she scattered the ashes on the wind. Raina stayed at Harrenhal until her death at 73 AC, at which point our dragon returned and made her lair in the dragon pit at King's Landing. The Blue Queen laid at least one more additional clutch of eggs, which was stolen by Daemon Targaryen to give to a future child yet to even be conceived. It was also the egg chosen by Princess Rhaenyra to be housed with her deceased baby brother, Prince Balon. Rhaenyra flew to Dragonstone on Syrax and convinced Daemon to return the dragon's egg. It was returned to the dragon keepers and placed in a stoking brazier to keep the hatchling inside safe and warm. The Blue Queen will have another rider, but that is a story yet to be told. Our Dragimon of the week is the dragon, Dreamfire. And with that, I kick it back to Sam. Awesome. Well, that is our episode. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Facebook at AWPOIAF and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party. Uh, and email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you're watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. Massive thank you to our producer, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. You are our protector of the realm and protector of our mistakes. Uh, be sure to check out our allies, Watch Party Lord of the Rings, for the Ring of Power series debuting this week. Every Saturday, they will be releasing a hot take of the latest Ring of Power episode, and on Sundays, a big ol' live stream at 11.30 a.m. Pacific time, in collaboration with Fellowship of Fans, featuring a newbie panel with no book spoilers, a lore panel, Tolkien artists, cosplay, and custom food and drink recipes made by yours truly. Uh, people can call in, participate live, and the stream will be posted on their podcast a few days later. So hop on your eagles, saddle up Brago, and head on over and check it out. We also have our friends Watch Party of Wheel of Time who are taking a little hiatus while House of the Dragon and Ring of Power air, but there are still 41 fantastic episodes for you to enjoy. Uh, this has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you so, 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 so much for what, for joining us. Uh, we are your hosts, Solar. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Constance. Our blades are sharp. Uzma. Margulis. Morgan. Have a good night, everybody. And myself, Sam. Valar Margulis. <laughs> <laughs>